The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily express those held by this station or its advertisers and are strictly the opinions held by those contributing to the show. Welcome to the Eric Little High School Football Podcast, your home for news, discussion, and opinions about high school football in the Mid-Ohio Valley. And now, here's your host, Eric Little. Welcome inside the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. Again, I am the namesake coming at you in this final week of the high school football regular season in West Virginia. In case you've not been following us, this is a weekly podcast about high school football in the Mid-Ohio Valley. You can find us every week on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. You can also like us on Facebook if you haven't already at the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. New episodes drop every Wednesday. Coming up, we'll talk about last week's games. And we have a special guest this week, the week of the Parkersburg South PHS matchup, Mike Hayden has been on both sides of this rivalry and Mike and I had a great conversation this week and he told a lot of old stories and I enjoyed sitting down with Mike Hayden as I always do. Mike Hayden is one of those people that you feel a little special to know him to be quite honest because he knows everybody that has been in this area and has covered football, played football, coached football in the last probably 40 to 50 years. Super nice guy, super good guy, just a wealth of information about the people and about the teams and just about football in general and life in general. I really enjoy talking to him for this. You can find some of the conversation and countdown to kickoff this week. You can find the entire conversation here on the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. So a big thank you to Mike Hayden for joining us this week. Again, if you're not familiar with him, former football coach at Parkersburg South High School for 14 years, then he crossed town where he was an athletic director at Parkersburg High School. He's of the generation that was early on in helping to build the culture of Parkersburg South High School, but was a PHS graduate. There are a lot of people early on that were associated with Parkersburg South high school their kids went there they themselves did not but their kids did and then it took a couple generations in before that school had an identity and my kate was one of the first people to help build that identity at that school then he later went on to become the athletic director at phs and then the executive director of the secondary schools activities commission so he knows sports in this area inside and out and has done it all so he joins the podcast later we're honored to have him I keep having people tell me, it's a wonder we've made it this far through the high school football season, and we really have had a season to this point. And it's amazing we've had no major issues. And I woke up today as I record this. I'm recording this on Tuesday. I woke up this morning... And one of my first thoughts was, I'm not sure that it is working out anymore. Up until the last couple weeks, we had a stray game canceled or postponed or moved because of COVID. And it was just one of those, okay, you know, it is what it is. Uh, Other parts of the state here in West Virginia and really by and large, Ohio has been fairly intact other than cases not in this area. But for the most part, this area has been largely unscathed by the worst of the coronavirus. There was a week where Wood County was gold. Doddridge County, which is just a little bit outside of the primary area that we cover here in the Mid-Ohio Valley, they were red for a few weeks and shut down. But by and large, many teams that we talk about all the time on this show were unscathed. But as we sit here in what is week 10, was supposed to be week 11 of the West Virginia high school football season, only Ritchie County, if they're able to play on Friday, only Ritchie County will get 10 games in of what was supposed to be a 10-game season in 10 weeks here in West Virginia. Everyone else in the area has had at least one game taken off their schedule because of COVID, whether it was they themselves that couldn't play or their opponent that couldn't play, or in some cases, a mixture of both. I'm not so sure that we are getting through this season, to be quite honest. And in Wood County, if you're a team that's getting ready to go to the playoffs, you're in dire straits right now, and you might not even realize it. Wood County started the week on the COVID metric map in gold, meaning that in the regular season, you can only play 
schools in your own county or schools from other gold counties. Talked a few times about that on this program. Fine. It is what it is. That doesn't affect the PHS South matchup. That's going to happen as scheduled. But what about Williamstown? Williamstown now will find themselves for a third week without an opponent. Tyler Consolidated is a team that's in a gold county. They can't play St. Mary's as scheduled this week. They don't have an opponent. That's their second bye of the season. They didn't play last week either. Their season is now 2-6, and six, and if they want to play 9 or 10 games, they'll have to do it after the playoffs have started, which you can do in West Virginia now. Teams have until November 28th to get games in. So are they done? Are they not done? You have a lot of situations where players may have played in their last game and they didn't know it at the time. They were walking off the field. And of course, that's, I know, pretty far down on the list of things to worry about or be concerned with in a time of COVID. But it is definitely something that's on the minds and hearts of a lot of seniors and their families right now. But as we enter the week, Wood County was gold on that map and barely gold on the map by only a couple cases. And since then, they have gone into the orange designation. That's Tier 4 of 5 in West Virginia, meaning that if that map stays that way by Saturday, schools like PHS and Williamstown are done. The season ends. Red and orange, the two highest designations on that COVID metric map, they cannot play. Orange, you can do a little bit of practice and do some game conditioning and things like that, but you can't play at the end of the week. Red, you can't do anything. But it's been pretty clearly pointed out that when the Secondary Schools Activities Commission releases their 16 teams, and if you start the week as orange or red on that metrics map, you're done, your opponent advances to the next round. You could have somebody that makes it all the way to the Super 6 without playing a postseason game. That's a very real possibility this year, unless there are alterations to the way things are done. We'll get to that in a second, because where have there not been alterations? So unless the numbers come down in Wood County, you've got those schools out of the picture. Unless numbers come down in places like Wayne County, Berkeley County, you could have a postseason in AAA without Martinsburg, without Spring Valley, some of the better teams in the state. And I've been throwing out there the idea that maybe when you get that field of 16, they take the top 16 that are able to play and seed them then. And from what I'm hearing, it's starting to seem like they're just going to take the top 16 and we may know by the time the seedings happen, or not long after the times that the seedings happen, a week out, we might know that this team has advanced to the round of 8 because their opponent can't play. There are going to be some circumstances like that where you might have a team sitting on the sidelines for a week or two in, in the playoffs and all of a sudden have to perform at a semifinal or even the Super 6. It seems like 1 through 16 is going to be 1 through 16, and 17 is going to be 17. So you could have 15 teams in orange or red, and number 17, sorry, you're not getting into the playoffs. That's a theoretical. I hope that's not how that happens. And if that happens, we have far worse things to think about than the high school football postseason. But still, that seems to be how it's going to be. We had talked a lot this year about how it seemed like they would just be next man up at that level, and it doesn't seem like that's going to be the case. And I'm still not convinced that if we get to the Super 6 and somebody has to be scratched, that they're not going to find someone else to bump up into that state title game shot. Uh, I think those three games will happen with somebody playing in those games, no matter what. This is just a weird climax to a weird season that we're building up to. I know other schools have felt that impact statewide. We've heard the case of Donridge County in some of these Olympic sports, cross country, of course, and their runners got to run. But there's been an alarming habit that's come up so far in West Virginia. It seems like when we get to a watershed moment in a playoff season in a different sport or a particular sport, and there's an injustice that's raised at one level, it seems like that community makes a stink about the injustice that's happened, and then the rules change. 
And I've said this on the program before, the WVSSAC has an impossible job this season. There's a lot going on right now that's far bigger than even educating the kids. And right now our schools are struggling to educate the youth of our state. we got a virus that is not under control right now. And the numbers are growing scarier and scarier by the day. And as a society, we have not handled that. But can we really get to every situation where there is an upset parent, an upset booster, an upset coach, and satisfy everybody in those situations? Let's say we have nine games scratched in the opening week of the playoffs. Are they going to address all nine of those situations one by one and come up with an answer or a reason why X school or Y school or Z school can play? Are there going to be situations where they can't come up with a reasonable answer and some schools can't play? And I think when you start making exceptions, as the SSAC has been doing, and I'm not saying they're wrong to have made the exceptions they've made, but I think when exceptions start to be made, everybody thinks that there's going to be an exception made for their school. And at some point, I think the window's going to close. No moss at this point. And I feel like in the football season, we're going to see that next week. There are going to be situations where administrators, coaches, players, parents raise every bit of cane you can find, and all kinds of a stink, and lawyers will get involved. At some point, someone's going to be told no. And that's that. For all the people who have been told yes, there is going to be a point where someone is told no, and it's not going to be an easy thing to deal with for that community, that school, that program. We're going to see some ugliness this weekend. I guarantee it. After the football games are done, once the playoff field is decided, the COVID metric map could knock somebody out, a local health department could knock somebody out, and that could happen at any point throughout the week. Buckle up. It's going to be a bumpy November, and it all starts once the games end this weekend. Again, to get back to that central point, you know, when people say it's a miracle we've made it this far, I didn't think we'd have we'd make it this far. We're here, but on what legs? We're here, but how much farther does this realistically go for a lot of teams? And I don't think there's going to be one big thud of an ending to this high school football season statewide. I think it's going to trickle out and peter out in a way that for some teams, they're going to have a very anticlimactic ending and a very disappointing ending to their season, and one that will be ended not on the field, or a lot of seasons will end not on the field. But we're there. I think it's time to acknowledge that. Look at last week's games. No Magnolia, no Tyler Consolidated, no Wirt County. All of those were COVID situations. Looking at this week, St. Mary's was supposed to make up a game that they lost and play Barnesville, but there's a COVID outbreak in Barnesville, Ohio. It was going to get St. Mary's to 10 games, and they would have joined Ritchie as being really the only two teams in this area that have 10 games. St. Mary's is not going to play Barnesville. We'll get to that more in a second, but for the Blue Devils, that would have been 10. Now they have a bye week going into the playoffs. Williamstown not playing for the third week. Tyler Consolidated not playing for the second straight week. Magnolia hoping to play this week, but again, the numbers have been pretty bad up in New Martinsville. Were it not for the fact that South and PHS are playing each other this week, I'm not sure that either of those two schools play. It's, it's hard to tell. We're getting close to the point where this logistically isn't going to work anymore. We'll see how it goes. I'm hoping for better, but buckle up. It's going to get bumpy. I'm going to start talking about the football now. St. Mary's earned an easy win over Frontier, 55-20. to The Cougars were playing for the first time since they were bounced from the playoffs. Another big game from Trey Moss. 18 carries, 121 yards, and three touchdowns. Brennan Boron had three touchdowns passes. He only threw seven passes in the game, completed five of them, and three of those were for touchdowns. He also got a touchdown run. The Blue Devils built up a 41 to nothing lead at the half. They took advantage of seven 
takeaways. Six recovered fumbles and a pick. So any concerns the Blue Devils would play down to an opponent that might not have the motivation on the other side of the playoffs that they had going in. Any concerns the Blue Devils would play down to that team, those are quickly erased. So another big win for the Blue Devils. For Boron, you have to like the fact that he found three different receivers for touchdown passes. What are those? Darian Borte. And that's a guy that could be a difference maker in the playoffs, as we've said a few times on Countdown to Kickoff and on this podcast. A defensive score for St. Mary's in the fourth quarter of that game. They are rocking and rolling. And to be honest, I'm not sure they would have gained a whole lot from playing this week. I think it's probably best for the Blue Devils that they take that week. This is a St. Mary's team that's usually, for the last several years, had a bye week in the middle of the season. Of course, that's a 10-game schedule in an 11-week season. Now it's 10-10. and And with virtually everyone else in the playoff field getting fewer than 10 games, they've had at least one, and in many cases, more bye weeks than that. So they're a lot more rested. If you're St. Mary's, those nicks and dings that you usually have late in a season that most teams might not have as bad right now, they've got them every bit as bad and possibly worse. So for St. Mary's, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world that they're not going to play Barnesville this week. And I'm not sure what St. Mary's would have gained from that game, to be quite honest. They get some rest, they're going to heal up going into the playoffs, and they'll see where the draw finds them. So St. Mary's will have a bye week and a well-deserved bye week as they head into the playoffs at 8-1. and one. one of the biggest surprises in the area, Wheeling Central absolutely throttled Williamstown 33-14. It was a close game of the half. Wheeling Central led just 14-7, but two Williamstown turnovers in the second half were converted into 14 points for Wheeling Central. And Wheeling Central is one of those programs that you just can't do that against. You can't make that kind of mistake. Your mistakes are going to come back to bite you. They definitely, definitely will. Wheeling Central also got a big game from Michael Topher. Five touchdowns, three of them in the air, two of them on the ground. So the Yellow Jackets will go into likely a bye week at 5-2, and two, and we'll see how they respond to that. One thing that maybe the Yellow Jackets did accomplish, they ran for almost 300 total yards against Wheeling Central. That's possibly a blueprint that someone could put forth and show how to beat the Maroon Knights, or at least exploit a weakness of the Maroon Knights. We'll see if Williamstown showed something that maybe others haven't seen or others didn't see until that point. But again, with Wheeling Central, they're one of those teams that if you expose a weakness, they're going to get that short up pretty quickly. So whatever Williamstown did to run the ball that well for almost 300 total yards, I don't know that that's going to be open for the next team that comes to face them. Looking at the big school scene, PHS got a diverse effort in a 37-20 win over Jefferson. Bryson Singer connected with Julian Mar- Martin twice, and talking with John Chow from The Voice, the Big Reds, and listening to him on High School Game Night, that seems like a real emerging connection in this state. Bryson Singer also caught a touchdown pass from Michael Owen. Mike Hayden and I were talking earlier this week about a diamond formation they run with Bryson Singer, Michael Owens, Adrian Snodgrass, and Justin Waybright in that backfield that really seems to be unstoppable. So they're using Singer to catch passes, having Owen throw him passes, really some creativity in that offense. This is the first time all year, by the way, for The Big Reds that Bryson Singer didn't rush for a score. And they got a big game from Zadrian Snodgrass on the ground. 14 carries, 134 yards, and a pair of scores, developing perhaps as a secondary threat that they need in that backfield with Bryson Singer. That diamond formation certainly helps that also. The defense, again, needs to get some attention in this game. They held Jefferson to just 99 rushing yards, so a big effort out of the PHS defense in that game, limiting Jefferson to fewer than 100 yards, getting some more attention for the Big Reds team that moves now to 6 
and two. They've won six of their last seven games heading into the rivalry matchup with Parkersburg South. And speaking of Parkersburg South, the Patriots sputtered. They fell victim to early turnovers and good quarterback play in a 50 to 20 loss to Wheeling Park. The Patriots had two turnovers that turned into nine Wheeling Park points. That's the good part of it. The bad part, Wheeling Park picked up 14 points in the final two minutes of the first half. So a game that easily could have been 28-14 at the half and manageable for Parkersburg South got out of hand in that first half, late in the first half. And because of that, South never really was in the game in the second half. The complexion likely changes a lot if Parkersburg South went a little more conservative there. They were without head coach Nathan Tanner. Contact tracing for COVID-19 meant that he could not be around his team and coached from his car, which was parked above the south end zone, was able to call offensive plays. One of his assistants, Evan Campbell, was the acting head coach in that game and will be again this week as PHS hosts Parkersburg South. Tanner, as of right now, is not going to be able to coach in that game or even be around his players. Incredibly frustrating for a guy who just lives, eats, breathes, and sleeps this, as it would be for any coach because they're all the same. But Tanner's young and energetic and really lives off of that, that, that interaction they get to those players and the camaraderie with his players. So they have an unscheduled bye week after the game against Cabo Midland doesn't happen. And then at the last minute, last Friday, he's told he can't coach and he's told that continues this week. So a frustrating end of the season for Tanner unless he's able to coach, unless he gets some positive COVID tests and that maybe allows him to be a little closer to his team than he currently is going to be allowed to be. So frustrating there. Wheeling Park, though, I think an underrated good team in this state. The sky's the limit for that group. They've got a talented set of wideouts. They run the ball better than most people give them credit for. And in Bo Heller, they got a quarterback that makes good decisions and puts the ball where he needs to put it to let everybody else do their thing. He's a very good quarterback in terms of facilitating and using the weapons around him. And that's going to keep this Wheeling Park team humming late into the postseason. And that's going to make them a tough out. That's a team that could, depending on the draw, make it to a semifinal very easily. And again, it's a tough class AAA field, but Wheeling Park's a pretty good team as well. Taking a look at Ritchie County, we haven't talked about them yet. They got a big night from Dakota Wayne and Gus Morrison on the way to an easy win over Gilmore County. Second straight game with 100-plus rushing yards from both of those guys. And it was Dakota Wayne carrying most of the load there. 21 carries for Wayne. We've seen that out of Rick Hot, Maybe taking a little bit of the load off of his top players toward the end of the season to save them somewhat for the postseason. So we'll see if they go back to Morrison more. But you've developed another weapon in Wayne. We'll see Graydon McKinney, Blaine Bowie in the postseason. That's a diverse team with a lot of weapons. They've got a game this week against Calhoun County that is not going to be the toughest contest. Calhoun's 0-7. So if you're Richie County, you're trying to stay healthy, line up your personnel, get reps for the guys that need to get a little bit of work, and prepare yourself for the playoffs. Just line yourself up going in. Checking in the Ohio playoffs, Fort Fry still alive. They'll advance to a regional final after the 34-0 win over Barnesville on Saturday. And again, that's the Barnesville team that now is going to be unable to play St. Mary's because of COVID issues up there. So Fort Fry will play Fairland Saturday. They'll host Fairland Saturday in a regional final. End of the line for River in their postseason. It ends with a 42-9 loss against Shadyside. The Pilots are 6-3 now. I believe they can play another game. I'm not sure if they'll do it. Usually this is the time of the year they'd play Frontier. I believe Frontier is going to be done at 5-4, so I'm not sure if River finds someone and plays a 10th game or if this is it for them. But either way, their playoff run comes to an end at the hands of Shadyside, a 42-9 winner over the Pilots. A 
again, the only schedule change in the area this week was going to be St. Mary's uh, not able to play Tyler Consolidated, picking up Barnesville, but Barnesville can't play because of COVID issues, so St. Mary's is going to take a bye week. Also, Williamstown, because of Wood County being in the gold, they're not going to be able to play this week, and they have, did not find a replacement opponent or did not seek a replacement opponent. Tyler Consolidated, same thing. They're not going to play this week as well. So a lot of teams not able to play 10 games this season, and a couple of these teams missing multiple weeks in a row. We'll see how that affects them going into the postseason. We'll see if it keeps some of these teams out of the postseason. Another big thing that happened this week, the SSAC has kind of gone back on one of their rulings. The SSAC had ruled that the minimum number of games that you needed to get into the playoffs was going to be four. That was the previous announced minimum. Now, schools have been notified that teams playing a minimum of three games will be playoff eligible if schools have made efforts to schedule games. And I'm not really sure what they're going to consider as efforts. Do you have to submit phone records? Do you have to have sworn testimony from someone saying, yeah, he, he called me and we tried to book a game? Fine. Or she called me as athletic director and you know, they, they tried to schedule the game. I don't know what the criteria is going to be there. But either way, I guess if you make a good faith effort to schedule a fourth game, you're going to be eligible to the playoffs even with three games. And that likely clears Tug Valley, if their metrics line up, to be eligible for the playoffs at just 3-0 and in Class A. Hard to believe we'll see a 3-0 and team in the playoffs, but then again, there's so many things that are hard to believe about the 2020 season right now. But again, if you're a team that's just played three games, the news from the SSAC was good this week. We'll see if it continues to stay good for schools like Tug Valley and maybe others to fall in that same situation. Stay connected with us on Facebook. Like our page, the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. While you're there, answer our weekly poll question and feel free to share your comments or questions. Eric will get to those on a future edition of the show. Welcome back. Join by a guest that I've wanted to have on for a long time. Glad to finally get him in the studio. Mike Hayden, former head coach at Parkersburg South High School, former athletic director at Parkersburg High School, a man that's uniquely qualified to delve into the South PHS matchup. Um, former executive director of the SSAC. That's how I ended my career. Yes. Current color commentator for Jim Wharton on WTAP's Football Frenzy. What do they call it? Football Frenzy Overtime? Yep. Yeah, they do a great job doing the games on television on Friday nights and bringing those to you. Uh, working in the studios this year, I know that's been a little different for you, but yeah, most people don't know we're doing that. Yeah, I uh, didn't until you told me. Yeah, Jim at one time was going to let the audience know, but uh, he keeps uh, forgetting to do that. But uh, <laughs> really, we don't care. You yeah, know, it's it's really great for us. Yeah, because you know, Eric, you've been in some really bad situations as far as press box go. Because that's one of the last things that these high schools think of. Yeah, uh, is the media. Yeah, with the COVID the way it is, you want to social distance. You know, there's some press boxes out there that uh, you're going to be elbow to elbow. We're doing it from the studio, like you know, ESPN does, and a lot of them have been doing. Although they're starting to break out a little bit and, and yeah. go to the stadiums, it has worked out really well for us. Yeah, steps away from the restroom. That's my favorite part oh, right there. Oh, absolutely. That's the best part. <laughs> and how warm were you last week? Oh, a lot warmer than you guys were. <laughs> I guarantee you were. <laughs> I went for the winter coat, I think, in the pregame show. I don't usually break out the winter coat in October. But, Mike Hayden, glad to have you with us. Well, thank you, Eric. It's, uh, it's, it's great to be with you. Let's talk a little bit about Parkersburg South and PHS and the tradition between these two schools. I know a lot of people want to look at rivalries and think that they're blood feuds. I think that rivalries, especially when you're dealing with two schools in the same area, they're a little more friendly than people think off the field. But on the field, that competition's intense. From your perspective, how would you describe the nature of the rivalry between these two fan bases and schools? There's never been a problem. Uh, now, knock on wood, because in... Uh 
50-some years of competition, and it's been very tough competition. Especially, I'm going back to when I was the head coach. I took over in the fourth year of the school. Their first three years, they hadn't won a game. I took over a really good time. We had a bunch of good kids. I was there for 14 years, and we won 70% of our games. But the problem that we had, Eric, there were several problems. Number one, every parent of the kids that I had playing were PHS grads. Right. And the sad thing about it, they would always throw that up to them, you know, especially the week that they played the Big Reds, thinking that the reverse psychology, I'm going to talk Big Reds up so they get mad and play better. Well, it was tough on the kids. And then the second thing is we didn't have a stadium, and we had to play at PHS. I, as a head coach, I tried to make it uh, sound, well, it doesn't make any difference once you're inside the stadium, you know, is our stadium. We're using it. But they knew, I knew, and everybody else knew that you were guests there. Because here's another thing. When you're making out your schedule, Eric, back then, PHS, of course, got priority for stadium use. Right. If we both had a game scheduled on the same, at home on the same night, well, guess what? We either had to go Thursday or Saturday. Not PHS. So that was not fair. I know I'm bringing up old stuff, but th- this is a fact. This is what the kids had to fight. And this is know. what people in the community still remember. Yeah. Well, not as bad. True. It's been 50-some years, and, and Eric, uh, they have established their own identity. That was the big thing. They had no identity at that time. I'll tell you what, for 14 years, I had some of the toughest kids you'd ever want to see, and there was not a game ever in the state of West Virginia in those 14 years that was as physical as what the PHS South football game was. And you know what? Kids didn't get hurt. You did not want to be on that field if you were faint of heart because both teams hit like sledgehammers. Was it pride? What led to that? Well, tough kids. Yeah. Well, and uh, Buddy James was the head coach at, uh, at the time. From 1970 to about 1985, he had some of the best teams that Parksburg Highs ever had. Right, and that coincides yeah. right neatly with your era. Let's back up another step. Starting out, people didn't realize this. My first three years as head coach of Parksburg South, we finished fourth, fifth, and fourth. But there was only a two-team playoff, you know, and that can make a big difference in your psyche. I remember when I was uh, in my, I don't know, third or fourth year as executive director of the SSAC, I got a call from, I don't know whether you ever got to meet him or not. He was a big booster at South, passed away a few years ago. Charlie McCready had a lot to do with uh, Erickson All Sports, getting it started and everything else. Charlie's son played for me, and, and, and Charlie and I were good friends. Well, he called me at the office one day, and he said, there's a group of us down here someplace having breakfast, and said, we're discussing your years at South. I said, gee, many cromley, Charlie. I said, you guys gave me a tough time back... I said, I've been away from it a long time. You know, give me a break. He started laughing. He said, no. He said, we were talking about your 14 years that you were in the playoffs one time in 14 years, but the playoff systems was different. And they, they said, one of the guys said, well, they had it figured that if the present playoff system had been in effect, that you all would have been in the playoffs nine of your 14 years. And I said, Charlie, I don't know. But he said, well, you guys have all the records out there, don't you? And I said, yeah. I said, I can get my girl to check it, and I'll get back to you. So uh, she checked on it, Roberta Newton, who for years, she's retired now, ran that playoff system and everything else, did a great job. Uh, told Bert, I said, Bert, can you check this for me? I got a South booster who wants to know. And she said, yeah, I'll check the records. And so she went back through all the records and came back to me. And then I called Charlie back, and I said, Charlie, you guys were wrong. And he said, oh, we thought nine, nine times 
times was, would have been in the playoffs. Like I said, no, 10 times. We've been. <laughs> and I, he said, what? And I said, yeah, 10 times we've been in the playoffs. I said, you know, Charlie, I said, that makes a difference in your program. Yeah. There's no caveat on the wall on the field house, you know, behind the end zone where it has all your appearances and stuff like right. that. A lot of schools have stuff like that. There's no caveat for, well, no. the playoff system was different back then. Yeah, because we went from a two-team playoff. In other yeah. words, it's same rating system. First three or four years that I was there, it was a two-team playoff. And then we went to a four-team playoff. And then my last four years, it was an eight-team playoff. Mm-hmm. You know, it just seemed like we'd always finish one or two spots out of it. There's a lot of times, I can say this, but you can never prove it, but we felt it as a, a coaching staff and as a team that we were better at the end of the year every year I was there than we were at the beginning. And yeah. That might have been my fault because we worked the devil out of them. But my rule of thumb was, as a head coach, once we finished that fifth game, we backed off because my philosophy was, uh, you know, we had worked them so hard. We've got them prepared. We've got them ready. They're tough. But if they're not ready to play and know what they're doing after five games, they never will. And so we backed off. So maybe that's the reason we end up winning most of our games at the end of the year. Whereas that's now, my fault. Whereas now that's seen as an asset. You look at Williamstown. They've done that for years. Yeah. And they're much better by game 10 than they were in game well, one. Sure. And you should be if, yeah. if you're working at it. Yeah. And so I take But it would penalize you maybe under sure. the old system. Absolutely. But it just seemed like we were one or two slots out of the playoffs, and we could have won the state championship several times. Yeah. We really believed that. We were that good. And this was my fault, too, because we did our own scheduling back then. I scheduled the toughest people that uh, we could get because I didn't want to play against these teams that you can walk all over. You don't gain anything. It's just like when we scrimmage. We scrimmage tough people. We scrimmage Canton McKinley. We scrimmage Maslin. People like that, that Ohio powers. Mm-hmm. I want my kids to know that they could play against the best and survive. And they could look at themselves and say, hey, we're not bad after all. I think it paid off from that standpoint. But those are things early on in that school's history that really hurt the school. And I know I listened to Buddy James talk about it, and I listened to Marshall Burdett, who took his place. And they both said the same thing, and that is, even if they didn't win the state championship, they would go two or three games deep into the playoffs. That's a quarter to a third of a season. And and so you're taking your kids, and you're getting more practice time in. And so that's got to make you better the next year. I think we've seen that. I think we've seen how the level of play is elevated because you've got 16 teams in now. Right. So it's at least 16 teams to get that one extra week of practice. And at many least, more get more. Uh, yeah, at least one. Yeah. And uh, some get two, some get three, some get four. And I think some of these great programs, people forget this too, the programs that are in the semis or the Super 6 every year, that's three to four extra games a year. Absolutely. So if you're a graduating senior, you might get the equivalent of a full season of just playoffs. Games. Absolutely. And I remember Buddy and, and uh, Marshall both saying year in and year out, said uh, we got a lot of extra practice in, especially with our younger kids. Yeah. Because what they would do is they knew what their starters could do, the seniors and so on and so forth, but they would work extra hard with those underclassmen. And so it paid off. So then you go from being the Parkersburg South head coach to the AD across town at PHS. Mm-hmm. What was that mentality shift like in terms of from one community to the other community? It wasn't tough for me because I was a PHS grad. Right. I had come back from Ohio, Buddy James, the first two years, and I was an assistant to him, then took the South job. No, it wasn't a, it wasn't a problem for me. As a matter of fact, at that point, the South Side people were glad to get rid of me. <laughs> you know, they, they wanted to change. That's the nature of the beast anywhere. Well, I don't care whether it's Ohio State or wherever else. You can wear out your welcome. Yeah. They always think change is going to be better. My 14 years at South uh, was really good. 
I really enjoyed it. Uh, I still have a great relationship with a lot of those players. It's hard to imagine that they're in, a lot of them are in their 60s. Of course, I was young, really young, when I took the head job. No, the transition uh, back to Parkersburg High School was no problem for me, none at all. And I took over for Coach Mandich, who I played for, was a legend, and he was tickled to death that I got the job. I had 16 good years there, and then the SSAC job came open, and I applied for it and got it, and that's a good way to end my career. Everywhere I've been, I've been lucky. I've been really lucky uh, and been blessed. But going back to this rivalry between PHS and South, it's still a rivalry, but it's not to the extent that it was in the first 20 years, maybe. Have modern times kind of changed that? <laughs> the internet, social media being what it is? These kids play on travel ball teams together. Is it they all, know all, each all, other. Right. Is it all of those yeah, things? They know each other. Uh, knock on wood someplace. In all those football games, there has never once... And that says volumes, first of all, for the kids, for the schools, for the coaches, because they kind of set the tone. If you had coaches that hated each other and were bad-mouthing each other and everything else, it could spill over to the players. But that's never been the case. No. It's never been the case. Yeah. Looking at this year's rivalry, this is going to be a different matchup than most. In a lot of years, they come in with similar records. This year's not the same case. We'll get into PHS first. The Big Reds have a quarterback in Bryson Singer that can run, that can throw, is a multi-talented threat. What makes him so difficult to stop? Well, not only Bryson Singer, but you've got uh, Waybright and Snodgrass, who are good running backs in their own right. They're both big backs. They have good speed. They can block for each other. Actually, to be honest with you, the Big Reds starting out the beginning of the season, a lot of us uh, said, boy, this is going to be a long year. They did not look that good. Of course, you get out in their first game. Of course, I did that on radio because Butch Powell couldn't do it. Uh, so I, I worked with uh, John Chalfant down in Spring Valley. And, of course, you go into the frying pan the first thing out of the box. And, I mean, there was no comparison. It was like a JV playing against a varsity at, that, a tough time, opener. at that time. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Now, I'd like to see him play now. Now, I'm not saying that the Big Reds could beat them, but it certainly would not look the same as it did that first game. That first game was horrible. Yeah, they give them a game. Yeah, it was horrible. It was tough to even call on the radio. It was that bad. But Spring Valley, you don't take anything away from them, is an outstanding football team. As far as PHS goes, another point of pride this year for the Big Reds has been the defense. They've not been known for playing good defense in the last several years. The defense really strong in grabbing some attention this year. Well, the first three or four games, they didn't look good defensively. Well, you're also going to get Spring Valley in one of those. Yeah, and uh, they didn't look good at all. The last uh, few games has been what a lot of people call old-time Big Red defense. For years, the Big Reds lived off of defense. You know, it wasn't their offense. You know, it was their defense that that won some championships for them. It was basically that way when I played, you Mm -hmm. know, back in the 50s. We won a state championship my junior year and runner-up my senior year, but we were pretty good defensively. We weren't bad offensively, but uh, pretty daggone good defensively, physical. You saw South last week. What's one thing that impressed you about South, and what's the biggest thing that they need to work on? Let's put it this way. Knowing South and knowing the attitude, they will play better against Parkersburg High School than they did against Wheeling Park. Now, whether they'll be able to get the job done, that's a different story. you know. But right now, you have to put your money on Parkersburg High School. But I saw in that fourth quarter, you and I were talking you know, just a little while ago, I saw him put in several young kids that impressed me. 
So the future looks bright, and I wouldn't be at all surprised if a bunch of those kids don't play Friday night. And, you know, they're just young and dumb enough that they say, what the heck, I'm going in there against those big reds, and we're just going to let it all hang out. Troll is one example. Of course, he starts. Yeah. He's a sophomore, number one. Yeah, Cyrus Troll's had a great season. Oh, my gosh. I love that kid. He scored touchdowns in all but two games this year. One of them, South was shut out, and the other, Traw was injured and didn't play. Yeah. Well, let me tell you something. He he so impressed me the other night. Maybe I talked about him too much. I don't know, <laughs> but I could have been his agent, I guess. I was that impressed with him uh, from a coaching standpoint. I said, boy, as a, if I was coaching this team, I'd love to coach that kid. You don't motivate him. Yeah. He goes 100%. And he doesn't play like a sophomore. He really doesn't. To me, he looks very mature out there. And there's two or three other young kids that I was impressed with. You just don't know mentally what changes are going to be made. And it also depends on Parkersburg High School how they come out in the game. If they come out and sputter, then South's going to look and say, whoa, wait a minute here. We can be in this ball game, And then the whole complexion changes. See, mentally, people don't realize mentally that has a lot to do with it. Now, if Parsbury High comes out and just goes bang, 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 like they're capable of doing, then you don't know what the attitude's going to be on the other side of the field. Yeah. But uh, Could be I, think, I think there's too much pride, though. It always has been in the South. They'll step up. It's going to be a closer game than people realize. As I was joking with Jim Wharton, you know, last week you might fire up gun smoke here pretty soon because, you know, the game was on Mimi and, and we looked like we were headed for a running clock in the fourth quarter. It's on NBC this week. This it's on the main yeah. WTAP. Right. So I, I, I'm not as familiar with their Friday night lineup, but whatever it is, if PHS gets off to that quick start, we might be seeing that Friday night lineup quicker than normal. You know, there's another factor, too, that uh, turnovers. You just never know. And this South team has been prone to the turnover margin of yeah. minus 14 this year. Well, Parkersburg High has been known to turn it over, too. Yeah. Bryson Singer runs so hard and so loose at times that, you know, he's got carries the ball out, and he has a tendency to lay it on the ground. You know, not from lack of effort, because yeah. that, that kid certainly has, my gosh, does he, does he have talent. Well, as a coach, where do you step in and try to coach that? Because you like the unbridled spirit, and you like that effort and that, that desire and drive within somebody. And you know that's where those mistakes are coming from. Well, there's only one place that, that I, as a coach, would say anything at all to the backs regarding that is, of course, never worried about it when I was coaching because it wasn't a thing. You didn't see these guys on TV every Saturday and Sunday diving for the end zone and reaching way out when they didn't have to. And some of them lose the ball. Right. There's been some of them lose it before they got to the goal line. And my rule of thumb would be, you don't ever reach don't ever I don't say well coach so I could possibly get it in the end. I don't care because they can knock that thing out of your hands and so on and so forth you keep that thing high and tight that's the way I would coach it you know as far as that goes to keep from having that usually when Bryce when Bryson fumbles the ball it's an effort thing right because he, he's trying to get extra yardage make that extra play yeah going back to your question how would I handle it I never dwelled on it with our kids I'll give you a prime example I had a young man my second year we're playing uh, Point Pleasant he was my best running back and Point Pleasant had a 30-some game winning streak. We ended up beating the devil out of him. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. But this young man fumbled the ball three times in the first half. and We lost all three of them. People in the stands literally are screaming, get him out of there, get him out of there. You know, he was the best running back we had. And all I said to him, said, uh, just keep it high and tight. Just squeeze it. 
He said, Coach, I'm not trying to. I said, I know you're not. Don't even think about it. Well, if I had taken him out of the ball game, then he wouldn't have been able to gain 135 yards the second half like he did. And you destroyed his confidence. Absolutely. What would have happened next week, the week well, after? Yeah, and see, here's the thing. I was a running back, so I knew how they felt. I understood it. I yeah. fumbled myself. Mm-hmm. I wasn't perfect. And so you don't dwell on it, because if you dwell on it, then it's going to be in their mind all the time. And this young man's second half didn't fumble, and like I said, had 135 yards rushing. And we beat the devil out of him. <laughs> you know, you're right. You take a chance on destroying somebody. By overcoaching sometimes. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. One question here I want to ask you before we go about this year's game. What's one thing South will need to do to pull the upset? And what's one thing PHS needs to do to take care of business? Well, PHS just needs to do what they've been doing the last three or four ball games, you know, especially defensively, gang tackle, you know, fly to the football. Uh, now for South, they need to eliminate the mistakes. I can see them running a short passing game, which can present problems. See, not enough teams do that as far as quick outs, quick ins curls, yeah. you know, rather than trying to go deep all the time. I would try to hit gains running out of the backfield, you know, with a swing pass. Yeah. Because uh, I would tell the young man before the game, if I was coaching, and said, you'd better get ready because you're not coming out until you trip over your tongue. Because I'm going to run you to death. I think Devin Gaines would accept that challenge, knowing Devin Gaines. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, you can hit him up the middle, hit him off tackle. You can uh, swing him out of the backfield and hit him on a swing pass, you know. Take, uh, like, go to the trip side, run all three of those receivers on a streak down the field, clear the defensive backs out there, hit him with a swing pass. He's going to pick up umpteen yards. Again, for PHS, keep the good times rolling. And for Parsbury well, South, go back to Devin Gaines. Yeah. Bryson Singer is, is a big key, but also you're going to have you're gonna have to stop Snodgrass and Waybright. So, you know, it's not just, you can't a, key it's in not on just a one-edged one sword. Yeah, you yeah. cannot key in on a Bryson no, Singer. No, Before we go, your favorite memory from coaching in this series? My favorite memory was my second year when we beat him for the first time in the history of the school. You know, that sticks out because the euphoria in the community and everything else was so great because they'd been waiting for that to happen. It did, and uh, it was a very, very exciting time. The guy who was at the very beginning of this rivalry helped build Parkersburg South. As an athletic department, as a program, helped create that identity, and then was an administrator of PHS and with WVSSAC, and is the lead analyst on WTAP. Mike Hayden, thank you for joining us. You can catch that on the main NBC channel. 7 o'clock is the pregame. The kick is 730. 7.30. 7.30, yeah. Pleasure to have you. We'll have to do this again. Eric, thank you. You I'll sit and talk to you by the hour. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we can do it in basketball. We'll find something to talk about. Yeah. Let's take a look at the games of the week. And by the way, just a real treat to sit down and spend some time with Mike Hayden. If you're into the history of high school football in this area and of the two biggest schools in this area or just of sports in general at the high school level in this state, he's a fun guy to talk to. A wealth of information. We're glad to have him. He's going to be our basketball analyst on WVAM, the Trollies channel with PHS basketball this year. He filled in for Butch Powell earlier this year for a game. He's just a cool guy to have under our umbrella here, and I'm lucky to be able to talk to him. Our games of the week here on Seven Ranges Radio and Mid-Ohio Valley Radio with St. Mary's Barnesville not happening this week. Our 93-hour game of the week is now Ritchie County, Calhoun County. No game on WXCR and V96.9 and WVAM will have the Parkersburg South PHS game. Garrett Fur and I will have the V96.9 Parkersburg South call. John Chalfant and Butch Powell will have the WVAM PHS call. Games of the week in the area? Of course, you got to go with PHS and South because even though the records are vastly different this year, that's always a fun rivalry and a good matchup. And I know it's a cliche to say throw out the records, but you throw out the records because anything
thing can and does happen in that matchup. Not a lot of other good games in this area, so I'm going to go expand the scope statewide. How about in Class AA, the Mineral Bowl in Mineral County between 7-2 Kaiser and 7-1 Frankfurt. A lot will be decided in the Class AA playoff picture there. And in Class AAA, a whopper of a game between 5-1 Bridgeport and 3-2 Morgantown. Those two teams were supposed to meet to start the season. If you remember, when Mon County went red and University couldn't play South, it was supposed to be Morgantown playing Bridgeport. That game didn't happen, which is why I thought Bridgeport might be coming to the Erickson All Sports Facility. Nope, it was Cabell Midland instead. But those two teams are finally going to get together and play here in the 10th week of the season. 5-1 Bridgeport and 3-2 Morgantown. I don't know there'll be a pass thrown in that game. That game's going to be over in about two and a half hours, if not sooner. Don't forget you can download us every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts and through SoundCloud. We'll have new episodes every week and next week we'll sum up this week's games and we'll set you up for the postseason on all three classes. Whatever that looks like, whether they play, whether there are multiple games postponed, whatever shakes out of the playoff picture, the COVID metric map and how those two things intersect. We'll talk about it on the Eric Little High School Football Podcast next week. Thank you for joining us once again. We'll talk next week and until then, enjoy the games, everybody. This has been the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and vote in our weekly poll. Come back next week for another new episode and thanks for listening.